Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Tonight, we're going to talk about um, letting others inspire you, fan fiction, transformative works, um, and the like. And um, <clears throat> it came up because the other night I did an author's desk where I talked about myself for two and a half hours. Um, <laughs> and one of the questions that somebody had asked is about um, how I feel about people using my ideas and my headcanon and my original characters. And you can listen to that. It's um, That podcast is published. It's on CastBox. It's called The Author's Desk. And it's got Kira Marcos on it. I would like to do author desk with other authors in the future. So that's something to look forward to. See how it goes. Um, so I don't care if somebody uses my ideas. Um, my headcanon or my original characters. But you know. The, you know but also. I'm a reader. And sometimes it would be nice to open up a story, a new something, and not see my own stuff rehashed. That might sound a little selfish or arrogant. I don't know. But sometimes it's like I go into like Harry Potter, for instance, and there's a brand new story up and I pick it up and I, and I look. And it's got basically my plot and you know, it's got a lot of my stuff in it. And I'm like, oh, great. This is not going to be a surprising fic at all and you know what I'm like mm. <laughs> I'm not mad about be, you know being the source of their inspiration whether they credit me or not um, although credit is always nice not required um, it is however um, frustrating for me as a reader well yeah I mean because the Harry Potter shopping is to be expected but I mean when I see somebody blatantly using my concepts and my plot scene for scene even if they're writing it their own way I've seen that and it's just like I don't care but also I'm a reader so I would like to read something new I mean, I think there's something that I think comes up that people like kind of like try to kind of allude to, which is that there are common fanon tropes that Kira uses, that I use, that they're common. They're not specifically Kira, something Kira came up with. But there are things Kira has done and written that are, are you know, when it put together, it's her original interpretation of a trope or whatever. There are things she's done that are just original that have become tropes in themselves. And it... I, I admit sometimes I get I find the lack of credit, uh, the lack of attribution, the lack of just acknowledgement. I get a little bent about it sometimes. Um, I absolutely do not mind people using my ideas. Um, I can get a little bit more testy about them using my original characters because if they want to do something you know awful with somebody, a character that I created, I'm like, why don't you go do some awful things with the character you created? Right. That'd be great. That'd be great. Um, but I don't. I, I, I find I, I want to inspire other writers. I think that's that's probably the biggest compliment somebody can pay me is that they find something I've written inspiring, that it inspires them to want to go off and write. It's less inspiring when they take like your whole idea wholesale. That's not because just retelling a story that I've told, I don't I don't think that that is me inspiring somebody. And also that's the reason why I don't want to read a fan fiction writer's interpretation of the Chamber of Secrets. If I want to read the Chamber of Secrets, I will go read the Chamber of Secrets. Right. Exactly. And credit never hurts, right? And it, it just, it just, it just won't hurt. It won't hurt. It won't hurt you a bit. 
you know, but people seem to think that if they admit that they're not completely, you know, that not every single thing in that was their idea, that somehow people aren't going to think they're original or something. But it's like, except you're not original, get over it. Yeah, you already know you're not original, so move on. Um, but and if you don't know who created something specific, something specific that you want, <laughs> Kaya, <laughs> just in case, just a blanket, just a blanket credit. <laughs> <laughs> because there are some people who've never well that's, that's actually really funny because there are some people who have never actually watched Stargate and their head cannon is my head cannon <laughs> because they <laughs> well I mean I blatantly use the and I've I've said it in a couple of fix you know that you know I just use the names Kira used because I don't actually know what the Karen you know the, they didn't have names as far as I know in canon <laughs> and um so and I, I don't knew- care about that. That isn't, I mean, and I, Julie's right. Inspiring another writer is, is really flattering. And it's like, it's amazing. And I love to be inspired by other writers. Um, but also I think it's important that you don't let somebody else's headcanon invade you so completely that you are incapable of seeing potential in the, fa- um, in the fandom that you're in. Does that make sense? Absolutely, because it's one thing to be in, to go. Okay, I, I just I've read so I've read so many of Kira's stories that Bates's name is Dean and Markham's name is Jason and Stackhouse. Markham's name is Jason Stackhouse. What's Stackhouse's name? What well, is it? Marcus Mark- Stackhouse. Marcus Stackhouse and Jason Markham. Is that it? Yes. Yes. Whatever. Because I, I think so- Jason Stackhouse is on. Um, uh- <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I <laughs> no, it's not. Canon. They don't actually have, have first names in canon, right? They don't have first names. So I just always use. I've read so many of Kira's works where she uses those names consistently that I actually can't think of them as other names. And I actually one day I sat down when I was first time. I was one of the first time, not the first time, but I think the second time I was reading Stargate. And this was after people gave me a lot of shit about, um using Kira's sentinel concepts like prides and alpha sentinels and which is not mine it's not original to me i don't even know where the original material is right and the funny thing is because i had read i was reading the sentinel fandom like practically while it was airing uh, and i was watching the show um and so i read when the idea of prides you know this was back in the i want to say early late 90s early aughts is when the first time I maybe around you know early aughts I would guess the first time I read the the concept of prides and um alpha sentinels and that kind of thing and when the set is when the sentinel this stuff kind of came emerged when the sentinels were known uniform and I couldn't tell you either who started it but it was an idea that took off like wildfire in in the in in that fandom particularly with that sentinels are not guides are known trope so um so, you know, and so people who'd only ever read Kira's works think that she invented the, the, those concepts, right? Well, so I got a lot of grief for not crediting Kira. And I'm like, I, I, what? I was writing, I was reading in the Sentinel fandom like for a decade before I ever heard who she was. What are you talking about? So, well, yeah, those concepts are really, really old to the point where I would not be comfortable crediting one author with it. I wouldn't either. What I would say probably is if I had a concept that I picked up from somebody, like for instance, I am not entirely sure. Who was the first one to write Cabbage Patch Babies? Well, actually, I am entirely sure because it was Tolkien. But um, in fandom, I don't right. know who 
which one wrote Cabbage Patch Hobbits. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, and you and you can't honestly even say it was the first person who posted. No, because you we, don't we, know if they're the first person to write it or the first person to mention it. Um, but if you're inspired by a particular author's interpretation of that, give credit. This, you know, I was reading this and I was really inspired, and um, this is the result. I read plenty of Sentinel Guide stories in SGA before I wrote Sentinels of Atlantis, but Lady Holder specifically inspired that in me because she made John the Sentinel, which is what I was looking for. But she was hardly the first person to probably write it. I don't even know who the first person was to write it. <laughs> she was just the first person I encountered. Yeah, and so I've credited Kira as inspiration on quite a few of my works. It's not particularly... Um, but I've credited other people as inspiration as well. Lit Gal, Lady Raw, um, a few authors in the Sentinel fandom. So I, if I know, if I have an ability, if I can say, okay, this person specifically made me want to write this trope or inspire this thing, I'll give them, I'll definitely put credit down for it because it, it doesn't cost me anything. And, but the thing is some of these, you know, like, like head cannons and tropes that I've been aware of, like especially in the Sentinel fandom for like 20 years nearly. I mean, come on. I, I wouldn't know where to go with that at, at this point to say who inspired me to write, to want to write that. So anyway, but anyway, so when I first started writing Stargate, I, th this is like rattling around in the back of my brain about people who had kind of like written me in defense of Kira and they were like bent that I wasn't, you know, attributing her for stealing her pride structure. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And, um, and so that's about in the back, back of my brain. And I knew that like Markham and Stackhouse and, and um, Bates, I knew that their names weren't, weren't that. I'm not even sure I knew about Bates, but I knew Markham and Stackhouse and that wasn't, I knew they didn't have names. And I tried to change their names because I'm like, people are going to give me shit for using the same name Kira uses, even if I give Kira credit for stealing her names. And, and I tried. Thing. I tried. <laughs> I tried. I don't even, I don't even remember which author note, but one of my stories, there's an author note that basically says that I tried, but it just wasn't happening. I tried to change their names because nobody wants to read about, I don't even remember what weird name I threw in front of a character's name. Um, like George or something like George Markham or something like that. But anyway, I heard the most terrible face. <laughs> I know, right? See, it's it's a problem. I don't actually have a problem with people picking those names up. It, it doesn't mean anything to me, you know. And that's just a weird thing for somebody to get attached, you know, to get bent around the axle about, you know, people, you know, messaging you about it. Come on now. Yeah. But anyway, so I just, you know, well, for a couple of reasons. Number one, because his name is Dean, and number two, because I hate the name Eugene. So. It's twofer. <laughs> oh, it's Claude. That's what I said. I said, characters who did not have first names in canon, well, I just use the names Kira Marcos is gracious with. Might as well perpetuate the notion that Markham has a first name and that it truly it was Jason and Bates and Stackhouse and so on. Wouldn't you all be confused if I named him Claude Markham? <laughs> um, that's in my author notes for the Alpha of Atlantis. Um, Right, Ellie. Right. And now I need to go back and change some of my old works because when I first time I wrote Teen Wolf, I said I couldn't get on board with the idea of Noah, but now I've acclimated to it. And now this is when I read John, I get confused. So I have to go fix my own shit. But anyway, um, my point is, is that it's not, it's not, if I didn't have other writers, I wouldn't, honestly, I wouldn't be writing hardly anything. 
because it was always the stories I read that made me want to write. But I never, what I don't want to do, there's a diff, the difference between inspiration and I don't know what this other thing is. It's, it kind of is idea stuff. When you pick up somebody's story wholesale and you retell it, the whole thing, I, I can't, that's not inspiration to me. That is, you don't have an idea. And so you're just retelling the story the way you would want to tell it. And it's you're not even, bit, you're, and you're not writing to be writing. Just have, you, you're writing for attention. And yeah. um, come on now. And honestly, people can get very territorial about intellectual property. That's my idea. That's my idea. Or so-and-so came up with that and you didn't give them credit. But the thing is, we've talked about this. Very similar ideas can develop organically, completely separately. And, and they may not even be thinking about Kira and I have a lot of very similar elements. Like somebody described Kira's story. Her, we both did the one sentence prompt for Ian and Tony. Someone mm -hmm. described her story once. I thought they were talking about mine because there are elements. We have elements that are so similar between them and we didn't compare notes. All we had is that prompt. Well, that was the whole point of that exercise to, right. to see what, see what would happen. And some stories came out way different and some stories came out very similar. And it was to show that that's kind of how that can go sometimes. So very similar things can come up very organically. And sometimes people have two entirely different creative processes that lead to them creating something that's kind of similar, but developed completely independently. And so it's not, other than maybe being inspired by the person in terms of just generally as a writer, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're inspired by that person's literal idea, that that exact idea. And sometimes they are inspired by that exact idea. And sometimes they borrow a plot element wholesale. Now, when I borrow, borrow something from Kira wholesale, I try to ask her about it. You know, like, hey, Kira, well, I was having a problem in one story with, um, remember when I tried to reinvent the, 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 the dimensional store bracelets? And I was trying to make like, I forget a necklace. what it was, but I was like, I've got something like this. You need to read this. <laughs> yeah. So I was trying to come up with something that wasn't a bracelet. And I can't find nothing made sense. I'm like, what are they going to do? So I didn't find something around the neck made a lot of sense. It was the closest, the closest alternate was around the neck. But I was like, what are they going to do? Strap it to their ankle and have that make sense? I mean, where would you put a wand if not something in your arm, on your arm or in your wrist, right? It just makes logical sense that the dimensional store would be held on the wrist. So, or on the forearm. And so I was trying to like, like reinvent this. I was getting really frustrated and curious. Well, I haven't really used this particular idea yet why don't you read this thing? And so I was like, well, she says, you can borrow it or you can use it. And so I did. And I put a note in the story that I borrowed it wholesale from her. Um, thigh holsters are great for guns. I don't see it for wands. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, it's just, but in general, I can't imagine, even though I do share a lot of headcanons with Kira and I really like her interpretation of certain things. I can't imagine picking up one of her stories and just retelling one of her stories that it's weird <laughs> shock strap see ellie doesn't make sense it's cute but it doesn't make sense to drop track of holding i think holding. that sometimes um and you see an author struggling to find their spot in fandom um and it can and they, and they will often end up mimicking authors who are popular I don't even mean just me. I mean just in general. 
they're picking up the same tropes. They're picking up the same, you know, oh, well, so-and-so is writing a marriage law fix, so I should go write one too because it's really popular right now. And um, I find that honestly kind of offensive because um, I've never enjoyed popularity contests. No. And I've been out of high school for a very long time. Well, do you remember that um, that group that shall not be named, the Voldemort of Facebook? Um, <laughs> I do know what you mean. They um, somebody was bemoaning the fact that their favorite ship they wrote a, they wrote a very rare pair, like you know, like that. There's like less than a hundred works for this pairing. I would guess from the way they were describing it, there's less than fifty works for this pairing. And um, they wrote a rare pair, and it was their love. It was their love and fandom was that pair. But like nobody read it. There was not a lot of readership for it, right? Um, but there was a loyal readership for it that was in, all in on anything that was written for that pairing. And so they were just bemoaning the lack of attention they get in fandom and how they're trying to, you know, talk, find a ship that they could get on board with writing so they could get more feedback and get run off. And they're going, I was so confused. I was so confused because they've got something they love to write that there's a loyal readership for a, a group who is just unendingly grateful for every story that drops with that pairing and yet it's not popular enough for them they're not getting enough attention writing that i mean what what do they think when they i i find the whole idea of just befuddling because if, if the pairing i really wanted to write was a, Look, a low interest pairing for anybody but me i would still write it because that's what i want to write here's the thing if jilly wanted attention all she would have to do is just stick her foot entirely into the NCIS fandom and she'd be done. I mean, she could, you know, because there are certain fandoms that, and then she would have all the attention she could ever want. Meanwhile, she's writing fic with Tony, with, you know, Steve McGarrett <laughs> or Jack O'Neill. <laughs> I've, so, I've done a big Teen Wolf detour. I, and since I'm not posting on AO3, I'm not hitting a core Teen Wolf audience. So, right. Well, you know, if you want attention, you have to post on AO3. For some fandoms, that's really true. Um, um, I don't need that kind of attention. I never have. I write what I, I write what I want to write, and sometimes people are really all in on it. There are things I have written on my site that were not very popular. I don't really care. I wrote them because that's what I wanted to write. Um, Y'all are going to be stunned by her RT project. I don't even know. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> You're like, really? <laughs> That's what you're gonna do. I know, right? But it's not about the pairing, it's about the idea though, right? The idea is banging. And the pairing is gonna shock people. But I'm gonna I'll give the I'll give the chat room a tease. I gave her her title. <laughs> she did. Kira titled Kira titled my story for me. As that often happens amongst the bitches. <laughs> yeah. So yep, yep, yeah. it is. It, it is. Uh, the thing is, is that Gibbs is, if you take Gibbs, and we were talking about it the other night when we were bouncing this um, particular idea, um, that if you take Gibbs at a certain point um, and utterly change his path in life, you can work with him. And I don't mean taking him all the way back to the bullet because, you know, I am not actually all that upset about the bullet. I mean, he could have cleaned his brass. <laughs> yeah, it's your brass, motherfucker. It's the, it's the, it's the hypocrisy. But we're we're 
Kira and I are bouncing an idea the other night. We're we're cause I was I was stumped for November. And we're bouncing an idea. And it was a it was kind of a like a piece together, like I don't know, it was like a hodgepodge of other ideas that finally kind of coalesced together, like changed the timeline. Kira suggested a timeline change on an old idea of mine that I've talked about before. And and we're in the middle of talking about it, and it's like all of a sudden I'm like, this feels like a a Tony Gibbs story. And I was like sitting there going, I don't know what and, to do with this. I don't know what to do with it. But it's what it felt like. And then once she did, I was like, we were talking about something and talking about enlightenment. And um, that led me to this quote that said, little by little, which reminded me of that song. Um, uh, uh, little Wonders or something? Little Wonders and by Rob, Rob Thomas. Thomas. And so I went over to uh, YouTube and, and I found a, someone had made an NCIS video about so, Tony yeah. and Gibbs. There's a fucking N- little wonders. There's a fucking Tony Gibbs ship video set to little wonders. And it's very well done. And, and, going, hmm. and so these small hours is actually a line from the song little wonders. Yeah. So, and we're sitting there talking and like, I love the idea. I was, it's the first idea I've been like totally on board with for November. And I was sitting there going, this really feels like the pairing is Tony Gibbs. It really feels that way. And um, I was like, I really thought I would never write this pairing again, but wow. Okay. Okay. It's a Stargate crossover in case you didn't figure that out from the wormhole in that art. (laughs) But yeah, so it was just. Uh, it was like know. a brainstorm that turned into a bounce that turned into a plot drift. It was weird. Wait till you guys hear it. I mean, it was crazy cakes. If you it hear it, uh, we don't know if it's going to be a podcast or not. But um, it was like I don't know. It was just, and then and then we were there, and we were like, "Are we uh, really?" <laughs> it's like I think I got a plot. But, but Gibbs is one of those characters. Like I said, this would be really early on in the canon of NCIS. It's right before Kate would be shot, killed. Um, and it's just like, it's a moment where you can turn Gibbs and you can soften him and give him new circumstances and it would make all the difference. Yeah. I mean, I'm not looking to get like, and this is, I think this is one of the things I had to accept about my writing is that I was not, while I will hang my star on a character sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll go there. I don't want to get bogged down in a ship. I don't want to get bogged down in a ship that I might get tired of, that I might not like anymore, or that the canon just ruins for me, or sometimes that fandom ruins for me. Um, Looking at you, Supernatural. That's right. Um I want to write what I'm inspired to write. So even though I really thought, I really thought, and honestly, if it wasn't for um, Secret Santa Projects, I would have stopped writing Tony Gibbs after really two stories. So I feel like I was done with that pairing. And, um, and then, and I don't want to, I don't want, I don't want anybody to think that those Secret Santa stories were a problem. They weren't. And I was inspired to write them because I wound up getting people I know both times I did the NCIS Secret Santa, which was weird because I only know two people in the challenge, really. And I got them both times. So um, I drew Penumbria the first time I did the Secret Santa and I drew Desert Poet the second time. And because I know the kinds of stories they like and I know how what kind of character they like, kind of stories, what kind of how they, how they perceive the character, I was really inspired because it was a gift. I was really inspired to write a story that I thought that they would enjoy and that they would like and that it led me to 
writing Tony Gibbs in both cases. And one story was um, Death of Silence, and that was for Penum from Penumbria, and I'm glad you enjoyed it. And the other story was Vicious, and it was for Desert Poet. And um, I really enjoyed both stories, and it was inspiring in its way, writing for other authors and being inspired by the kind of stories that they liked. So I really enjoyed that experience. And if it hadn't been for those two, I would have only written the two stories, Emergence and Memories. Um, so I thought I'm not going to get back to this pairing because it really isn't a, a, a major ship for me. And then we're talking, and it, it was, it was, a, it was really, it was a great it was, start off as a brainstorming session because I had, I really had nothing. I was thinking I'm not going to do November. I've been under so much stress lately, and I just it hasn't been there. Um, and it was just such an organic conversation, the way it flowed. And I'm not going. We're not going to put it up until November gets around, because um, I don't. This is just. If it's, I'm really want, if I really want to write an idea, there's a chance I'm going to be a little territorial. And since I've had somebody jump oh, yeah. the gun on one of my um, rough trade stories before and write it ahead of me, um, because we discussed it on the podcast, so thanks for yeah. that. Yeah, I did share the shifts verse. You know, that's not something I'm writing in challenge though. So if someone jumps the gun and writes the Victoria Argent <laughs> story ahead of me, it's like I, I'm probably going to cut them the fuck out. But you know. That, with your that, specific plot. I mean, it yeah. would be like, oh, well, thanks for listening to our podcast and not giving us credit. Appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> us. But I, I made it, yeah. I made it clear that I wanted to write. I mean, but you helped a lot with the plot in that. So it isn't us. And, um, <laughs> but when it comes, but since Rough Trade's right around the corner and I really, it's the first thing I've been really on board with writing um, for November for Canon Divergent Challenge. Um, I just said, uh, you know, we're, let's, let's hold it at least until the start of the challenge, until I can start writing it. That way, I don't have to worry about, you know. Yeah, you, you guys you guys are going to get one ambiguous as fuck plot uh, uh, Summary, project yeah. file. Some, <laughs> it'll probably just say something happens. <laughs> something happens and, and Gibbs has feels about it. <laughs> anyway, um, but it is so, without that experience of interacting with other writers and being inspired or bouncing ideas back and forth, I don't know that I'd be doing November. I don't think I'd have an idea. And I really, really like this idea. I really like it. It's an idea I've been most jazzed about in a long time. Partially because it doesn't, it's not, it's got some angst in it. But a lot of my ideas lately have been angst, angst heavy um, for me. I'm excited about mine because it's new. I'm doing something I've I've never done before. Um, I'm time traveling with a character that um, I've rarely spent a lot of time with, um, but I've actually got f a fully developed character profile for him because of um, because of small magic and his brief appearances and other stories. And so um, I'm just I'm really interested. And also, I mean, also since he's my central character. Um, he's not Harry Potter. Harry Potter will be in it, of course. Um, but he isn't the central character of the story, really. He's, you know, he's he has his part to play, but it, but it's really a, a story about somebody else. There is like zero pressure to to meet anybody's demands. Yeah, I could see that. But I'm so jazzed for. I'm so excited for Kira's November story since I know like a lot of the plot, and I've read her part of her plot document on that i'm so excited for it that that's why i said i don't care if i do get in the mood for harry potter i'm not reading it i'm not going <laughs> to risk 
tainting my mind palace and not being able to read her November story. I'm really looking forward to it. It's adults being adults. It is. All the adulting. You know how I have an adulting fetish. They just started. November startups just started. They started yesterday. We go from yes, October 1st today. to October 15th. Yeah. And this is yeah. my cast for um, my story. I love that you reimagine the dwarves. So I'm going to try to keep myself contained, though, because I do not want to get into another epic that I have to edit after November when my parents are here. Actually, I, that's what I should be doing. That's what I should just do during the three months of the year my parents are here is edit. Is like save all my writing up for when they're here and then edit while they're here because it is impossible to write while my parents are running around. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying you kick them out of your house, but I'm just saying that Airbnb might not be out of the question for one of you. I mean... For three months? <laughs> It'd be pretty expensive. It would be very expensive. My budget just cried just thinking about it. Uh, but I think that there's so much that can... If you, if you open yourself up to the idea of being inspired by other writers to help fuel your own creativity, not to, not to hijack their ideas and retell them, but to fuel your own creativity... Um, it's so but if you do find yourself like sitting down to plan something and cherry picking elements and ideas from multiple writers instead of investing yourself in your own creative process, you need to ask yourself a question. What the hell are you doing? You've only got one stomach. Stop acting like a cow. <laughs> <laughs> Stop regurgitating other people's stuff. I mean, yeah, I mean, honestly, honestly, I have to say that Blackbird inspired me to pick up the um, the first chapter I did for Beloved, which is the opening um, volley for the Ties That Bind Criminal Minds verse. Um, and I have decided to recast Aaron Hotchner, and I'm... Yeah. Yeah. That recasting was like, boom. The boom. recasting, yeah. And and that and that's the kind of I think that's the kind of inspiration you want from or you want to aspire to and, and accept. It, part of the problem is I think some people are very resistant to just opening themselves up to acceptance, um, accepting inspiration. They don't want to accept it. It's like they want to believe they're going to be able to organically come up with every idea they'll ever need and every trope that they want. They don't want to. They, I'm not going to use cliches and tropes. I've actually had people say that to me. I'm not going to use any cliches or tropes in this. It's going to be all of my own organic creativity. But I call <clears throat> bullshit. There's no such thing as a story without tropes. It doesn't exist. The reason why we tell that they say that there are only basically seven basic stories to tell is because they're comprised of the big tropes. Which means you cannot possibly tell a story without a trope. Then maybe, maybe you can get away without using any cliche implementation of those tropes. Even that's a little bit difficult to deal to do. But maybe you can get away without the cliche approach. But the, no tropes, that's just stupid. So people, they're like, they're determined that they're going to be completely original. It's just not possible. It, it, it's just not possible. But yeah, I mean, I, 
I picked up the Richard Armitage casting and I got I, I let myself noodle on it for a while and yeah I'm on board with him being the new Aaron Hodgner and ties to bind it is working for me like gangbusters but Blackbird really inspired me that way and sometimes that's what you get out of a story it inspires you to want to write in a specific theme like BDSM um, or a specific genre like BDSM, it inspires you to want to work with a specific actor, maybe as your inspiration actor, or maybe you want to write in a specific fandom, or you're inspired to pick up a pairing, or and let yourself have that. Let yourself have that. Don't shy away from that, even if it's not something that you've never that you've ever done before. Um, exploration is is part of your craft, and you should not. What, take the inspiration where you get it. But even because sometimes, sometimes it's hard to come by. Yeah, because sometimes when you're flailing about for an idea and you're trying to avoid doing this like this person or that like that person, it's like just because somebody else has written the maybe the best version you think in your mind. Oh, the, I think you know that person writes this pairing in a way that if everybody thought like that, there wouldn't be any fan fiction. Um, yes, I do. I do think that tropes aversion can be awesome. I do think turning um, tropes on their head can be a really good thing, but you have to be, approach it with caution because sometimes a trope is the way it is because it makes sense, and sometimes people invert them in a way that makes no sense. They put 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 them on their head, and you go, "That doesn't make any sense." So you just got to be careful that if you're taking something that is well established, it's the well trod path that you know that you aren't actually diving off a cliff when you try to you know redirect it blackbird is a story it's a hannibal will story it's, it goes eight it goes it's canon divergent into a bdsm relationship early in season one there's a link for podcast link library and i fessed up uh, about a week ago, I guess, that I had read a, a handful of stories in the Hannibal fandom and that Blackbird had just stuck out to me as being a just exceptional piece of work. Cannibalism aside. And if I can so get past... I read it. Sorry. <laughs> and if I can get past cannibalism <laughs> to go, yeah, that's a really amazing story. It is. It is a stunning piece of work. It is gorgeous. I, you know, but you do have to look, you know, cannibal, Hannibal still is very much cannibal. So, you know, he's still, he's got his diet. <laughs> and he's not pretending to be anything he's not. <laughs> oh. And Kira writes, she says, I don't think I could write in this fandom. I'm not a talented enough chef. And I said, well, who knew it was the cooking ability that would get in the way and not the ingredients? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I just, I'm not out and brown enough. You are not. That's true. And I don't. Not, clearly, there are some bitches who are. I was gonna say nobody is. But that's not true. Some of these bitches are on point. I'm like, wow. I've never okay. even heard of some of the food that they ate in that in that story. I'm like, I had to go look it up. I had to Google shit, and I was like, that does not look appetizing at all. But it sounded so beautiful. <laughs> no, as in. I do want some of that pomegranate mousse. I mean, I know. 
I just wanted most in general. I'm like, you know, whatever. Um, you, I don't think you can expect a, a, a Hannibal work from me. A, a lot for the same reason. There's a lot of reasons, not the laces, because I just, I know myself. If I start slipping down a dark slope, it will get stupidly dark. And it it's just, it's not actually where I want to go as a writer. So, um, and I think I would get too dark in the Hannibal fandom. But also, I agree with Kira. I can't, I can't speak to that level of cooking. It would, I would be researching. I do more research on food. It just wouldn't go well. But I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, you just spend all your time trying to figure out how to make a sandwich not sound like a sandwich. <laughs> Did you like that sandwich, TK? <laughs> Much people tried that sandwich from Duty of the Living, and a lot of people liked it. So people are like, well, it's okay. I'm like, well, <laughs> it's just the sandwich I happen to like, but I'm not a chef. That It's a sandwich. It is not a Hannibal type thing. It's not a pomegranate souffle. <laughs> or mousse. Mousse. It's the sandwich that Styles makes for Derek's pack and Duty of the Living. Which, if you haven't read Duty of the Living, well, if you don't read Teen Wolf Edie, I'll tell you what's on the sandwich. But, um, yeah. Anyway, um, you see, the thing is, is that, you know, I had someone actually um, kind of snip at me about saying that I would like to get credit if you if you use stuff from my from my stuff, and she was like, "Well, how can you be so hypocritical when you're in fandom?" I'll tell you what: I have never written a fan fiction story where I didn't credit fandom. If I write a Harry Potter story, one of the first lines you'll see in my summary: "Fandom Harry Potter." Do you post your fan fiction without telling people what fandom you're writing in? No, you don't can't even imagine well people do like to get on that well this is fandom i should be able to do whatever i want with your work because you do what you want with somebody else's work and that's just it's twisting reality well, you know what that's with. you know if you want to be that kind of fandom citizen you go right ahead but don't expect to be welcomed at my table and don't expect not to get shit about it and honestly as much as I, I don't like p seeing bad reader behavior if you're going to act like a shitty writer and you're actually not like a writer at all you're not acting like a writer at all when you do that kind of stuff. I, I really don't care what happens in your and comment section. It doesn't make sense because if you're willing to credit the original author with the material that you're transforming, then why would you hesitate to acknowledge someone who's actually in your community who also inspired you? Right. Because people want to, they, there is this deep, I see people go out of their way out of their way to find an alternate inspiration source to avoid having to credit Kira. I'm not going to get too specific, but it was super, super obvious that they were trying not to credit Kira as an inspiration source. So they came up with an alternate inspiration source that didn't it, actually meet the burden. It didn't, it didn't look at all like what they had written. And it was so transparent an attempt to find this, you know, old, I mean, old literary source rather than credit Kira as the inspiration source for her story that it just, it was almost painful. It was almost painful to read. I was like, why are you that attached to admitting, not admitting that you're, were inspired by something Kira wrote? That's just crazy. It doesn't make any sense. Well, I don't care. The only person that hurts Whatever. is the person who's trying that hard to 
you know. Because it was obvious. And anybody who'd read the, that material that they were quoting um, as being their source would know that she used the concepts from my work that did not even appear in that original work. At all. And it's just, just don't, I mean, and I had, there's somebody, I wrote, one of the shorts I wrote, um, it got pointed out to me. Somebody sent me a link to a story that was posted. And it wasn't long story. So this other story was posted a couple days after what I posted. And this story was almost moment for moment a mirror of what I had written. Thematically. Rude. It was it was the same, like, 2,000 words. I mean, it, other than the fact that they actually clearly rewrote it, they actually wrote it, so they used different words. But it was moment for moment the same. The same progression of events, the same outcome, the same emotional tone, the same theme. It was the same story. It was a direct mirror with two different characters. They took my story, re reworded it with two different characters. It was obviously the same. Now, somebody challenged them and said, wow, this reads in their comments. And wow, this reads just like something that Jilly wrote. It was actually so close. Of course, that which they said that they never read your work. They said this. They said, "Oh well, I never read that." And they will look. Oh well, hers was posted just two days ago. There's no way. I'm like, it was only like fifteen hundred words, bitch. Of course, you could have written it in that time. Especially since you were just rewriting what somebody else had already written. So, like, whatever. But people and people saw it. They called it out. They wrote me and they said, you know, da 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 da. And the thing is, in that particular case, I would actually call that full-on idea plagiarism. No, it wasn't actual plagiarism because they didn't actually use my words but it was moment for moment the exact same story it was it was painful that's to read. just so fucking lazy that's so lazy guys don't be lazy and if it was something a million people had done before okay so we've all done different versions of that but honestly i hadn't ever actually i hadn't ever read anything like that before so Yes, they paraphrased. They paraphrased me for like fifteen hundred words. It was with two different characters, which you know, what the fuck ever. But but then a lie inside. That's like that asshole on um on Ao3 who literally plagiarized my work with her Frankenstein shit and mine and ten other authors actually, and then had the audacity in her comments to say she'd never read my work. She literally lifted passages of my work, uh, Birth of the Serpent King and that old black magic, literally out of my work and put it down in her Frankenstein shit and claimed to have never read it. Word for word, my shit was in the middle of her shit. Along with 10 other authors. She probably spent more time cobbling that fic together to make it make even a little bit of sense. Than it would have been for her to write her own shit. Because sometimes it was just like she would take a sentence out of somebody else's work and stick it down in hers. And then it would be like a paragraph of mine and then a paragraph of somebody else's um, for a, quite a while. But yes, it did get taken down eventually. It took forever to get But that it was just down. bizarre that she, and then claimed she didn't read my work. And in that case, it was so plain since, I mean, she had the name of one of Kara's original characters. Right smack dab in the middle of her fic. It was like, whoa. It was it was that little snake, which I love that little snake that I can never remember. The snake bracelet that, that was sent Minion. Me. Yeah. Um, the same name. I was like, 
So a little snake bracelet with the same name and you're claiming you haven't read Kira's story? Really? That seems deeply unlikely. Deeply, deeply. But... And the funny thing is, people go, okay, so it's bad to be inspired by their office. This is not inspiration. This is theft. Okay. This is either idea theft or outright word theft. Okay. And that, and so I don't actually find the, in, the line between inspiration and theft to be all that difficult to find. Because if you're really trying, it, it, part of it is the trying to hide. If you're trying deathly to hide and deny your inspiration when it's transparent to literally everybody, you might be edging a little closer to idea theft, but maybe not. It all depends. It depends on how much of it you've taken, right? But and honestly, you're just pitiful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a story running around out there that is a, basically, in my opinion, a paraphrase of one of Kira's Harry Potter stories. It's just, it, it's, it's, it's her, it, it's this story. An uncredited it, paraphrase. Uncredited, right? And the thing is, in this case, that's not inspiration. So people worry about there, there's because there's no they didn't take inspiration from Kira they just took Kira, and rephrased her. So I don't that's not what we're talking about with be let yourself be inspired by other authors. It's when I read, and they didn't even buy me dinner first. Yeah right. No 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 courtesy of a reach around. <laughs> they um, slap my ass. I'm just saying. No, it's not. If they had done a if they had done a um a pod fic without her permission. That wouldn't be as egregious, actually, because because they would have at least said it was Kira's podfic, a podfic of this story of Kira's. That would have been at least credit, even though they should at least talk to her before they do that. But anyway, no, this was just yeah, oh, you're that stuff you guys are talking about. Yeah. Oh, okay, I see what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, you Sorry. know, Ao3 is actually looking for people to join their abuse team, volunteers. Just saying. Go volunteer. But being inspired by, uh, you know, the first story I read that I recall um, being really infatuated with the adulting in it was Airman Harris. I know Kira hasn't read it. A lot of you have. I've recommended it repeatedly. Um, and in that story, what I, one of the things that really stuck out to me, it's a story by Litgal. We all know Litgal is an amazing writer. And um, Jack O'Neill sees a bunch of kids, basically. Yes, they're legally adults at that point, but he realizes that this shit started for them. This war started for them when they were 15 and 16 years old. And that they're, they're like 18 and 19 now, and they are in the thick of it. And he steps in and says, this is not your job to hold this line. And he goes in and he gets shit done. And he gets Buffy military support. He offers her RPGs. He offers her like a pocket nuke if she really needs it. I mean, he gets in and he gets shit done. He acts like a fucking grown-up taking responsibility. And it's not something you see in most of these fandoms that deal with teens. And most of these fandoms that deal with teens, the adults don't adult. The teens get eventually figure it out. Um, can somebody get sent a link to Airman Harris? Um, I'd prefer the Twisting the Hellmouth link just because it gives you a downloadable file. Um, but anyway, um, so when I set out to write React, my come to Jesus first, I was inspired by that story. Now, I don't think there's any real resemblance between react and airman harris um except perhaps the vague 
plot device of an adult coming in with, but it's not military force. That was a full on war. I mean, there might be some very loose parallels, but the inspiration was about the adulting. And so I don't think the stories um, are actually similar in any way. And I didn't like lift ideas from her, but I was inspired to want to write that kind of story by her. And so I had no problem saying in my author notes that I was inspired by her because I was. <laughs> and the thing is, if I hadn't said that, I don't think anybody would have known what my inspiration was. I, because I don't think it's obvious, but I'm not allergic to admitting what inspires me. So I happily said, this story made me want to write this. This is why I wanted to write this kind of story. Um, so sometimes you're more literally inspired by somebody. Like you go, oh, I really want to write um, a Harry Travels Back in Everybody story. You know, um, I want my own body count, right? That's great because I love the body count, but do it in your own way. Do your own Harry Travels Back in Time and racks up a giant body count kind of thing. That would be awesome. We would love it. I'm on um, board. Don't just don't don't me because like if you're writing Hermione dying and and then the ritual and Harry becoming the master of death and you know the, them fusing with the deathly hell. If you're rewriting her, that's 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 not being inspired by Kira. That's just wanting to tell Kira's with your own story with your own flair. And it's like it's saying, I liked her idea, but she sucked at it, so I'm going to write it better than her. That's what it feels like. It's like you're saying, I liked your idea, but you but you kind of sucked at the execution, so I'm going to take it and do it better than you did. Yeah, I mean, that's just... I don't find that to be inspiration. Um, although, I mean, I somebody's going to write me after the podcast, if I don't acknowledge this, somebody's going to write me and say, that isn't that what you're doing with fan fiction, is you're writing an, a, a better version of what somebody else wrote. And I'm going to challenge and say not exactly, because I'm not in the habit of retelling canon. I don't either. I, I, I prefer to see my fan fiction be transformative, which means I don't regurgitate fan canon. What's the point? So if you're being inspired by one of Kira's plots directly, like I really would like to write a version of that. You're looking to write something that's transformative of that, right? So like if I was really inspired by um, Kira's Darkly Loyal, I might write serious traveling back in time and killing a bunch of people. Like killing all the people. Um, and... Know, or you could still write Harry back in going back in time, or what well, you could even write Draco as being the main protagonist as the person who wants to go back and fuck shit up. Um, just or we talked the other night about Neville. I'm all on with Neville being the time traveler. I, I think that's an amazing idea. So you could take the inspiration and not be super literal about retelling her actual story because retelling her story to me is not being inspiration. Um, it's not being inspired by something that Kira wrote. It's it's just wanting to rewrite what Kira wrote, which isn't the same thing to me as being in, as, as inspiration. Um, no one would see Neville coming. No. But you could take that basic concept. Fucked up shit happens in the future. It pisses somebody off. They travel back in time kill a bunch of people. That is a basic concept, right? 
effectively. That's the, that's the central idea, if not the central theme. It's the central idea. That's the way things progress. You could take that and tell a completely different story than what Kira told, but be inspired by what Kira wrote. And Kira would probably love to read it if Neville goes back in time and fucks all the shit up. I mean, yeah. And if you and if you wrote me while you were writing it and asked me, I might even provide you with my own personal hit list. Like, could he start here? Because really, Uncle Algernon needs his ass whooped. She might share her <laughs> database with you for tracking purposes, so you can be sure to hit all the bad guys. Um, so there's there's a difference between remixing somebody or regurgitating what somebody else has written and being inspired by them. And opening yourself up to being inspired by other people is so rewarding. Because trying to deny that inspiration is just, I think you're just cutting yourself off the knees. And it's rude, and you also, um, it, it can also create animosity um, in a community that that you spend a great deal of time in. Neville looks so innocent all through all the way up to six years, because he has a lot of, of potential to, give, to get away with a lot of shit. He, he could just bat those big eyes, and like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what happened to him. One minute he was fine. And then his head exploded. I'm very traumatized. Can I have a calming potion, please? <laughs> I'm so upset. There was that fic where Neville accidentally um, killed Snape during a potions lesson. And Harry had traveled back in time with a bunch of, of girls. And he was pissed. Because he had spent all this time killing Death Eaters, waiting for Hogwarts to start. And then he gets started. You know, they, they go to Hogwarts. The people are rapidly avoiding being put into Slytherin because Harry's been killing Death Eaters for like, I don't know, five or six years. He started when he was six um, when he came back in time. And so by the time they get to Hogwarts, there are precious few Death Eaters left and Snape is one of them and he has a whole plan for killing Snape. And Neville does it accidentally in the first potions lesson. Oops. And, Harry, and Harry is devastated and Neville gets a harem. A harem, I'm yeah, because all these little girls are well. It's like it, it's it's not a real harem. It's like oh. all these little girls keep following him around because he um because so he killed it, Snape. It's like the Hogwarts version of a fan page or something. Yeah, it's a fangirl squad. He gets a fangirl squad. Um, yeah, it's a crack fic. It's called Reunion. Um, you can find it on fanfiction.net. You know, and then he I like have... he gets like hyper vigilant about killing people before Neville can. Because he's worried that Neville's going to finish off his hit list. His bucket list. <laughs> okay. To be fair, most of the good Harry Potter fic is on fanfiction.net. Right. It is. The AO3 is very dangerous. There's some that's good, but AO3 is very dangerous on the Harry Potter front. Like, like I can't even. Um... But there, yeah, you know, there's, there's this funny thing. There's a, I have, I have a permissions page on my site, and it basically says that you're welcome to use what you want. You don't have to credit me, but it would be nice. And it, honestly, it saves me a lot of time and effort because my fans see my shit in other people's work, and then they write me and tell me. And sometimes that will frustrate me, or not, not that they care about that, but it frustrates me to see that that's out there like that. Or somebody like will write, an idea we talked about in the podcast and not mention the podcast. Um, 
which puts me in an awkward position because then if I ever want to write an idea we plot drifted on, they've written it ahead of me and then I could get called out for copying their idea. So their lack of credit puts me in a bad position and makes it maybe that I'm not going to want to write my own idea. Anyway, that's all beside the point. I have a person's page and it basically says you can use my ideas. Credit would be nice, but I'm not going to chase you, but you have to credit me on my original characters. That's what I say. Um, but the emergence verse is complicated. And I said people are welcome to write in the emergence verse, but that if they don't talk to me about it ahead of time, we don't like have some kind of agreement that they are not welcome to write something that would be considered in, in my universe. They're welcome to write their own riff on it, but they're not welcome to say that they're writing something in the emergence first because I don't authorize that. I did authorize right. one, I one get person. It. Yep. Kira's done with ties to bind. Um, so there are actually a bunch of people who went off and wrote emergence verse stories. Most of them have the good sense to mention emergence, right? So I got an email one day about somebody who's written an emergence story and hasn't even mentioned emergence. They didn't, not up by name at all, has all the same world building, except they didn't bother to explain anything. They just started writing as if they were mid-series or something and they're putting in a new set of dragons and they're just writing this story that makes no sense to anybody. And so people in the comment section are going, I'm really confused about what's going on here. You know, da, 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 da. And um, so eventually the author said, oh, this is based on this story's other author has written. So eventually, like in the comment section, it's mentioned that this is based on my story. Right. But it was just, I mean, somebody said, well, right. Why didn't they just acknowledge it and say, look, if you want to understand what the fuck is going on here, you're going to have to read this other story because I'm not going to bother to explain anything. Um. So, I mean, they eventually had to acknowledge it because it was, there were so many questions, people confused, right? And the only reason I think that they explained, because they didn't want to, they didn't want to explain it themselves. So they eventually had to explain, link the source material so people could go and comprehend it. You're just fucking but, lazy. I mean, what? Right. So, and somebody wrote me and go, you know, do you, do you, do you need to get this taken down or you want to say anything to them? And I'm like, I'm not going to say anything to them. I mean, they're, they're the ones that look like an idiot in public. You know, it doesn't, this doesn't hurt me at all. It hurt them a lot. So. Um, now, there are people who have probably written stuff in Ties That Bind that are not connected to my work. And the reason that I require um, those who want to be connected with me officially to let me be a beta, because if you have read um, Ties That Bind and you have read the pieces that came with it, um, they're using my world building and I use theirs. And you can't expect me to consider something canon that you wrote, canon from my series, that you wrote without my approval. It's one lady got bent because she wrote a story and I said, no, it, it, it doesn't fit because it had slavery in it. And I was like, it, it doesn't fit. It is not a fit for Ties That Bind. I will not link it. I will not say it is part of my world. And if you do, I will deny it. I will not acknowledge any of your world building. Period. She was bent. I don't know if she ever posted it, but she was bent. Mm, poor baby. And the thing is, I said that Emerges is basically, the con conceptually, it's an open universe. You can write in it. But I would not consider it canon if we didn't talk about it ahead of time. 
So people are welcome to actually do that stuff, but it is so utterly bizarre to me that someone would write something in the emergency verse and not mention the source material. Because if they're not going to explain the world, then their readers need the fucking source material. Right. And so, you know, they were a little bit bent out. A couple people called him out in the comments about this seems a lot like it's based on, you know, Julie James' story. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I'm not denying that. <laughs> Except you're not what mentioning it either. Ever. What the fuck ever, dude. Um, so that's, a, it's like, this is what I'm talking about. It's like, I find being inspired by other writers, being inspired by Kira, by Lady Holder, um, by Az in her crazy potato gun. Yes, Az. I swear all my crack is her fault. I, I, don't think I, I don't think I've ever written crack before I met Az. So clearly I'm inspired by, by the people around me. Um, my favorite character ever, bar none, in any series, in any in any work is Miles Varkos again. I aspire to write a character that good someday, I hope, an original character. That is my goal. Um, and so, you know, I, will, I don't think I'll ever write a sci-fi epic. I don't think that's in the cards for me. Uh, but it doesn't mean that I'm not inspired by Lois McMaster Bujold, that I'm not inspired by the way she wrote that character. Um. Yeah, anybody who would actually write uh, non-con and slavery and ties up bind story and expect me to connect it to my universe officially is a fucking moron. Yeah, I couldn't they, be more clear about that. They really, shit. really are not paying attention. Um, but when we did our bounce the other night, you know, I've been feeling like dry creatively, and so that was just—it was really a good couple of hours to sit down. And have that time to just talk about the ideas I like and, and get feedback from somebody else and see my ideas go in different directions with your help and, you know, incorporate your ideas. And um, it, is, it just can help really fuel that creativity. And to not let yourself have that, to not let yourself be inspired by other people is really hampering you going forward. Um, Which is why they tell you, and this is a piece of erotic advice that I've, I've, I've given, I've always been given, um, is that, that writers read. And if you don't have time to read, you don't have time to write. Yeah. Because it, it's fuel. Now, I I would say that now I've read articles by written by writers that talk about you know their writing burden and the amount of time they spend writing means that they've gone from consuming you know a couple books a day to consuming a book a week, and but they don't but none of them I've never seen a writer say that they stop. It's just it it cuts back drastically, and. You know, so I read, I read, I read a blog post by an author. This was a while ago. I didn't remember which author because I follow several authors. I follow their blogs, um, and they were talking about that they'd finally, you know, kind of finally read this book by so and so, and then they mentioned they said, you know, I know everybody, and, and they talked about how much they loved it. Da, 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 and they said, I know it's just crazy that people think it's taking this long to read this book when you've all been recommending it to me, but 
my reading list is longer than I have time for with my writing schedule. And I used to, you know, before I became a professional writer, I used to, and honestly, if you're making a living as a writer, if it is in any way a primary source of your income, that is a full-time job for you. And so I could understand why their, their reading time would be way cut down. But they don't stop reading. They still read. It just is less. <laughs> it's just way less. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know any writers that aren't readers. It's just how much. Because there are times when I'm just so busy that... I want I want fifteen thousand words of something great because that's all I've got time for. Unfortunately, I usually nope out of, you know, fifteen fix and then I'm out of time. It's sad. <laughs> that's last year when my mom had to have surgery and I ended up taking her to a whole bunch of rehab. I reread the entire JD Robb series. Yeah, I've done deep dives on your stories, like your, especially your Stargate stories, and reread them at times. Um, Sometimes you just need to retreat. Yeah, you got to know that you're, you got to know what you're in for. And so you pick up, and when I really need to know what I'm in for, I pick up and read my own stuff. <laughs> like, I can't trust anybody else right now. I can't trust anybody else with my headspace. Um, yeah, because the wrong person can fuck you up. It's yeah. You know, sometimes you just you like you look at you read an author's style. Maybe it's their narrative style that inspires you, and you want to write in that kind of really sharp, you know, brisk kind of way that some authors have, where it's really just like every line kind of hits you. Um, and some authors have a more floral style, where maybe that's what you like, is you want to be able to be really good with descriptions and stuff or descriptors. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be that and feeling as inspired to want to be better at description or better at action or, and to work on that aspect of your craft because you're inspired by somebody. But I swear, especially in fandom, people are so allergic to admitting they're inspired by anybody. Or if they do admit that they're inspired, they'll, they'll search for these really bizarre, like, you know, I'm inspired by, you know, Charlotte Bronte. I'm like, no, you're, no, you're not. <laughs> you are not. I don't no. see it. No, liar. <laughs> You might find her personally inspiring, but she did not inspire the words you put on this page. Mm. Someone mentioned to me, because um, I, I talked before about um, how inspired I was by the unlikely and the unwilling. Now, Lady Holder's project, The Unlikely and the Willing, has a very specific narrative style. and has a very specific um, characterization of John and Rodney that is gorgeous. Um, it's not my style. I would not have, and even if it had been, even if I were, I would not have emulated her style because that's rude and weird. Um, <laughs> we have very different author voices unless we're trying to write together and then it just kind of moves into this thing that was like a Frankenstein thing, that, but it worked really well until that terrible moment that we're not going to discuss tonight. But anyways, um, someone mentioned to me that they <laughs> <laughs> that, that they had read The Unlikely and The Unwilling and they had read Sentinels of Atlantis and they weren't anything alike. So how could they, how could I have been inspired by that? I mean, were you, I, I were you hoping that I would, I, that I had written just a longer version of her work? <laughs> it was, I mean, 
But when you've talked about the the stuff about the story that you find inspiring, you can find that inspiration in Sentinels of Atlantis. Yeah. So I think a lot of people don't really know what it means to be inspired without being a copy. Well, and that may be what they think. They may think when you say you're inspired by somebody that you mean, because there's a, honestly, to me, there's a difference between being inspired by somebody and borrowing something from them. Because if I borrow a plot concept from you, I'm not going to say I was inspired by Kira to write this. I'm going to say, hey, I borrowed this from Kira. Because that is completely different. Taking an idea wholesale from somebody and sticking it in your story, like your War Mages bracelets, that whole thing that you created. And I talked to you about the things that I would do a little bit different. But mostly it was yours, right? And I just made some adaptations to it to fit my story, my plot, mm -hmm. because I needed to. But mostly it was taking your idea wholesale and plugging it in your story. I can't say I was inspired by your War Mages because I didn't. I borrowed them from you. It's like borrowing <laughs> Matt Shepard. I can't say I'm inspired by Akira and I borrowed it to write Matt Shepard. No, I just borrowed him. So there's a difference between borrowing a concept and it's like people think that inspiration means borrowing and there really is a difference. So if, if you borrow a character or a plot concept, just say, hey, I borrowed this whole thing from this person. It's plunked it into my story. Um, inspiration is a little bit different. It's Someone tagged me earlier and asked me how Tolkien wrote Cabbage Batch Babies first. Because um, he, he didn't say he didn't say they didn't. I said earlier that the first person to write Cabbage Patch Babies in that universe would have been Tolkien. Um, and it was. Uh, honey, asked where the orcs come from. Oh, that's right. The orcs. Right. <laughs> the orcs and the and the Urukai come out of the ground. Right. They're actually corrupted elves who have been, I guess, they're reborn and they come from the ground. Um, so Tolkien wrote the first Cabbage Patch Babies in The Hobbit and in Lord of the Rings because well, well, yeah, but neither are there, <laughs> but not actually totally Cabbage Patch Babies, but you know what I mean? They, he was the one who gave the idea of, of that kind of organic life coming from the ground. Um, but, um, it, you know, when I finally published my Cabbage Patch Baby story, I would probably, the first one I remember reading, Bella was, re no, not Bella. First one I read was this by the same. Um... It was a Bilbo story, and he planned he plaited their hair together. Yeah, and she her she did. I don't think she tagged it for Cabbage Patch Babies, but she tagged it for Inexplicable Babies because Thorin gave Bilbo a lock of his hair, meaning one thing. Um, it was like a courting gesture, um, mm -hmm. and Bilbo took it for another. It was and called Gardening by the Fields Whale. And he by the Fields Whale, absolutely. Uh, and then he took the and then he took he, when he went home, he braided it together and he planted it and had a baby. Because he thought that's what Thorin meant. It it, it wasn't. <laughs> that wasn't what Thorin intended. But he wasn't mad. <laughs> Thorin was not mad. He was not mad. And the series is called, I'll put the link in the library. The series is called The Good Earth. Um, there are several stories in the series, but I don't, like I said, like Kira, I don't know. And I don't think they're even tagged for Cabbage Patch Babies. It's tagged for Inexplicable Babies. Because the first time I stumbled across it, I'm reading through the tags. It says implied empreg of a sort, Inexplicable Babies. And I went, he, he made a seed. He, Right, he made a he seed. He took his hair, 
it was his hair and Thorin's hair, and he braided it together into this beautiful seed. And he it was like Hobbit magic. And then he planted it in the ground and made a baby. And one of the things that I did in Beads on Her Feet to kind of what's that word I'm looking for? Pay, pay. Um, uh, well, some people say homage, but I say homage. I actually don't know which way it's actually pronounced. Homage, thank you. Um, whatever. To the good earth was that Bella lined her cradle with hair, her hair. Yeah. So, I mean, like and I that said, was like me, like giving you. Know, and when I credit, when I publish that story for real, it will be I, the feels well inspired it because that's where I saw it first. I'm not sure if they were the first one to do it, but that's where I saw it first. Thank you, Shadow. Both pronunciations are correct. You can say homage. I've never pronounced it that way, so it always is clunky come out of my mouth. I've always said homage. <laughs> so there we go. They're both right. Um, but, but it's gorgeous. If you've never read The Good Earth, you need to because it is gorgeous. And it is. Um, yeah. The first, people now tag it Cabbage Patch Dwabbits or Carved Dwabbits or whatever. Sunrider wrote Carving, which is this, 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 the story where it's, um, they come up that they, Thorin carved the babies. Um, beautiful as well. Also beautiful. But the first time I read it, and it exists, this story existed before the Cabbage Patch Dwabbits tag existed, was the Good Earth series by the Fields Whale. Does it mean that they wrote it first? I don't know, but it is definitely the first instance I ever read of it. Now it has taken off, it has become a trope, and you will find stories, but if you search for Cabbage Patch Dwabbits or Cabbage Patch Hobbits, you will not find this story because it's not tagged that way. It is tagged for inexplicable babies and impreg, and actually there's no impreg involved. Then I read a really gorgeous one where it was a female um, and she uh, could not, she, she basically has the kind of infertility, um, um, infertility that I have. Um, and she can't have babies. And she finds a poem in the, uh, in the library in, in Erebor. And it's written in her language, in Hobbitish or whatever that language is. And she reads it out loud, and, it, and it's it's actually a prayer to Yavanna. And she—that's not what they call it in the story. I don't believe. Maybe. I don't know. I don't think so. I've seen that before, but I, I've seen Green Tongue before, but this was something specific. Um, and she ends up with a flower on her wrist, and that—that's the mark of Yavanna. And it's an indication that she can plant a baby, which is supposed to be like a, a really rare gift in the Shire. And the, so that's the second time I read it, but I'm not sure who wrote that one. Um, but it was a female Bilbo because Thorin's counsel was pissy because she hadn't gotten pregnant yet and it had been over a year. And they were like, how come you can't knock the Hobbit up? She's apparently, I mean, they're they're very good at making babies. <laughs> and one of the reasons, yeah, the Hobbits really weren't interested in. Um, I th I think she'd even had a husband at one point, and he divorced her and took Bag End because she didn't have children or something like that. Yeah, and Dane did go nuts in that story. Yeah. Dark, you got any ideas? 
There was one where they had a sister and Dane tried to poison the girl with the dress. I think that's the same one. I think it has jewels in the title. Hopefully someone will remember it. I think Dark has an idea. Um, but it was definitely Rule 63. I remember that specifically. Uh, but it was very good. But the but the first one I did read was The Good Earth by The Feel as well. And um, so when it comes time to to publish that, and if I ever finish it, um, that's where my inspiration would go. Yeah. So if, and if you read, you know, any Cabbage Patch Dwabbit story, whether it's The Good Earth or whatever, whatever the first one you read is, that makes you want to write it. If let's say Kira wrote the first one that you wanted to made you want to write it, and you credit her as your inspiration, somebody goes back and reads Kira's story, they're going to see she's credited the Fields Whales inspiration. You know, it's a cycle, and people keep reading back, and they go back and they read the person who maybe they get back to the person who who came up with the idea originally, and that's wonderful. That's the whole point. But if the you know, so let's say you want to read, let's say you've read something by the Fields Whale, you've read the Good Earth series, being inspired might mean going off and writing your own version of Cabbage Patch. Wobbits. Being inspired does As not mean... As you found the story I was talking about, it's called Flowers of Yavanna by Soeba. Okay. Being inspired does not mean that you write a story where Bilbo thinks that Thorin is dead, has a lock of his hair, braids it into a seed, has two babies. One of them is the reincarnation of Durin the Deathless. That is not being inspired. That is retelling the good Somebody earth. else's idea. And it's rude. Don't, don't do that shit. I think a lot of people kind of like hoard their like they don't want to give credit because they don't want to I don't even know where I was going with that. It's just like they don't yeah, want to they don't want to share their readers either. I, yeah, I think that that is a lot of it. They don't want their readers to go off. Now to be fair, I'm going to be straight about this. Readers can be dicks in this regard. When people, sometimes people they'll compare they'll compare. And they'll tell the author, oh, I like your story better than so-and-so's. Yeah, I always leak that stuff off. I mean, I've gotten it before on various stories. And I'm like, nope, delete. <laughs> now, if, if somebody writes, somebody leaves me a comment and says, oh, my God, I love the way you write Tony. Or you write, my, you're my, you write my favorite Tony or whatever. That's fine. But if somebody says, oh, my God, you write a so much better Tony than so-and-so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to delete that off. I'm not going to put that on my site. Uh, if somebody says, oh, this is a much better, there's another story that's similar to this that I love and yours is so much better. Nope, nope, nope. No, I don't need, I don't need that kind of negativity in my life, y'all. Um, and the thing is to me, it's negative. Even if they're saying it, mine is the better one. Cause I, I don't need to be compared to other writers to, to, now I, other writers, I see people feel the need to compare, need to do it to me. Like they feel like they need to compare me to other writers, but I don't feel the need to have those comparisons made. I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. But if people well, feel like saying who inspired their story is going to dilute their reader base. That's because they think readers are currency. There's a yeah. whole big thread on that in that group that shall not be named on um, Facebook. Um, about how readers are currency. Readers are not currency. And, you know, part of me is tempted to go, okay, maybe this is egomaniacal. Okay, and maybe there's a little bit of ego here. I don't really care. But if someone doesn't credit my work because they don't want to share their readers with me, I'm like, bitch, if you think that somebody's a Tony fan and they're not reading my work, you're deleted. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, no, I honestly get I get Harry Potter. I, I get I've gotten actually two new Harry Potter fans in the past week and a half that had never read any of my work before because I'm not on fanfiction.net and they and they huddle over there like like a little cult. But okay. Um but for me actually when I see not, somebody what I think not being on AO3 gets me readers more sometimes, which is weird. Sounds weird. But what happens? People forget the story because, yeah, they're not going to, people don't automatically go, what story was that? Who wrote that? They remember the theme and then they go post on a fix, fix finder group. And then somebody goes, oh my, that sounds interesting. And then I've got a brand new reader who's read, reads right. everything. Because I get multiple referrals a day from fix finder groups and not just the NCIS fix finder group. So, you know, I mean, Sometimes if you, true. if a story of yours, like, you know, doesn't, doesn't hit in any kind of way in a, in a search for people, like if people are searching for by kudos or by hits or by word count, if your story isn't going to come to the top, the top hundred or 200 in that kind of thing, sometimes picking up new readers on AO3 can be very difficult. Especially in a very popular fandom, like say MCU or Harry Potter like Although I Harry work, Potter is actually more popular on fanfiction.net than it is on AO3 because they've been there longer um, and their readers are comfortable there. So, yeah. I don't know that I would get, like, if I posted Teen Wolf stories to AO3, I don't know that I would get many more readers than I already have because there's nothing to, to draw people to the story, right? There's nothing... Um, me meaning that I'm not a well-known Teen Wolf author, so the people who are going to read me are the people who already follow me, which is exactly what happens anyway. So I'm not going to hit the top of people's searches. My stories aren't going to be the longest. They're not going to be the most ones with the most kudos. They're not going to be the ones with the most hits. So unless people are reading new works, they're not going to see it. So I just don't think that posting on AO3 gets you the kind of exposure that people think it does. People talk about it like it's going to get you exposure. And... And that that exposure is so important, but to me, it's not. No, I agree. And I know there's some people who read my Teen Wolf stories who don't read anybody else's Teen Wolf stories, and they're taking a chance on my story being comprehensible to them when they don't know the fandom. And mm -hmm. I appreciate their faith. <laughs> um, okay, Az. I'm worried, Az. Really worried. Oh, I have to say, as somebody who I have, I've done it, you know, I'm, I'm, I have sorted by kudos to see what is the most popular, popular fix in a pairing and a family. I've done I, it and I, been like, what, really? That one? Really? Are you yeah, serious? Exactly. You're sitting what? there going, I don't understand how it, sometimes, it, sometimes it's the top 20. I'm reading them going, I know there's better fix in this fandom. I've read them. How are they not up here? What is and sometimes it's because it's old, right? It's the old stuff that's been there the longest. Sometimes that really is the answer, is it's been around the longest. And sometimes it's multi-fandom pandering kind of thing, you know? Um, that can that can have an effect on it. Um, but the thing is people the readers who come to read your work for whatever reason. I don't think you can game that. So, well, some people have found ways to game the system. But the thing is, is I think that sometimes that those people who game the system, um, it drives readers away from them. Like readers will actually actively avoid them because it's like you're, I don't understand what you're doing. It feels like you're playing a game. It feels like you're playing a game and you're not writing because readers will, if 
we'll we'll be able to tell when you're writing for attention. They're not dumb. Oh, you know, whatever. And if you're writing for attention, a lot of people who are writing for attention, yeah, begging for kudos or comments or whatever, they're lifting ideas from other writers and it's patently transparent. But they don't care. They don't care. So we're not talking to them. We're not talking to those of you who are trying to, who can only be creative when you're taking ideas from other people. Um, I mean, bless your heart. <laughs> and I mean that in the most deeply Southern way it is possible to say it. Bless your heart. <laughs> yeah. But letting yourself be inspired is opening yourself up to what is great about something you read. What did it inspire in you? What did it make you want to go? Oh, I just got to. I mean, like when Kira read Blackbird, she goes, I got to get back to the ties. I got to get back to the ties of bind verse and, 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 and get me some work on that, that story that's in there. It inspired her to want to write on B a BDSM story right now. So I think that's a really valuable thing about the process of being a reader is when you're when you're reading is what does that bring up for you? What is about this that you loved? What is the, what is the essence of it that really spoke to you that makes you want to, makes you want to write maybe something that isn't even remotely similar because that's not even the point. It's just, it brought up something in you that it made you want to, to go there. And you want to write Tony Gibbs again for fuck's sake. I know. I'm so really looking forward to it. You guys are going to love this. You're going to fucking love this idea. Really. It's just I'm gonna, outstanding. I, I'm so. going I'm, I'm to be doing, I'm not sure if this is credit or blame kind of thing in there because there was some Vulcan mind melt going on during the, during that conversation. So I think we both hit the, this is going to be a Tony Gibbs thing kind of around the same time. I don't yeah. know. Were, were I mean, we both I, hesitating to say it? Yeah. Because I was like, she, I, I can see her. I can see her hitting it like a mile away and she's trying to say, Oh, well we can do this and I can do this. And of course, if he's going to be there, then he's taking a ride on this. And I'm like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. And I was waiting for her to hit it. It's like that story that she told me to read. And um, I am anticipating one pairing the whole way through. Right. And the sexual tension, you could have cut it with a knife in this story. And finally I asked her after I finished reading the, the I, I finished the alpha read. I was like, so when are they going to hook up? It wasn't even her pairing. <laughs> so that could be remarkably obtuse about Tony Gibbs is what it is. Yeah, um, and I was like, dude, I, th there were several scenes where they were barely inches apart in the narrative talking to each other. I mean, they might as well have been fucking. The intimacy was so thick. And it was just like, are you serious right now? <laughs> yeah, I could be really obtuse about a pairing I don't want to write. <laughs> Which is, it's not like I don't want to write it. It's just that, I don't know. It's hard it's to It's a lot explain. of work to make Gibbs a good person. Yeah. Sometimes you just get your knickers in a knot about a character. And it's like, do I want to put the work in? But, you know, something. if I put the work into turning Severus Snape into a good person, I just need to man up about Gibbs. Um, right? Because they see some violent racist who joined a death cult. Right. Does <laughs> um, <laughs> so somebody ask about reverse inspiration where you come across an idea that is wrong, wrong, wrong. And you go, no, it should be this, this, this. Um, I don't not, I would say for me, no, not really. 
I, I can certainly see some people would work that way. What I usually get in what you might call reverse inspiration is where I read a story that is like, to me, it's like, oh my God, this is awful, awful, awful. But there's this germ of an idea that is good. And that could be inspiring. It's not so much to just take that idea and do it better than the person did, like the story, but to take that that germ of an idea and and run with it and do something um, that is your own, not as not that's reworking or whatever their their thing, but you could kind of call that reverse inspiration. Um, yeah, but sometimes it's more like just a tiny seed of an idea. Sometimes I'll see something, an, an element in a story that is either left dangling or left utterly unexplored or it's explored in a way that I would not have done it. And I thought, well, what would I do with that? Where would I take that? Yeah. You know, just, just to see, you know, and that could be the, and that could be the germ of an idea. Yeah, absolutely. But I've never looked at a story and thought, oh, well, I could do that better. Cause like, um, cause that's rude. Let's see. Again, folks, I'm making up an idea here. I'm I'm actually pretty good at making up ideas on the fly of stuff I actually haven't read. If this exists, I don't know about it. I'm actually hoping it doesn't exist, but let's just let's pretend. Let's say you're writing a Sentinel Guide story, and this is on my mind because we have the year of the Sentinel coming up. It is the challenge after this one. You know, it's coming. So let's say you've got a Sentinel and you're doing a piece of let's say Sentinel Guide world building where Spencer Reed is an online guide, but nobody knows he's an online guide. Let's say he's kept it a secret. And it causes problems that he's kept this a secret because maybe the nature of the environment or there's something toxic or exposure to a particularly empathic kill serial killer, it, it puts him in a vulnerable position. Okay. And it and this is your your setup that he gets exposed as a guide because of this situation, right? Fine. Okay. So let's say that you as the reader find that to be a particularly inspiring setup and you find it interesting. And then the next thing that happens is that Spencer Reed collapses into a crying ball of emo and he just spends the rest of the story emotionally fragile and broken. I'm already appalled. Right? Okay. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just making, I'm making shit up. So, because I would find that super unappealing. Right? If this if this exists, we do not want to read it. Do not give us links. <laughs> no, I really don't. So, I am I'm not. Sure the author in had their reason, but I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I'm not there for it. Okay, so my point in this is that you might read the summary of that, where Spencer is an online guide. Nobody knows he's hidden it until encounter with such and such killer caused his shields to fracture or something. And you, as the reader, might find, or as a writer, read this might find that to be wow what a great idea and then you read the story and you go whoa no 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 okay it doesn't mean that you would take that to me if you're inspired by that idea it doesn't mean that you would take that literal literal setup and and write it where that that emo thing and the crying and the broken thing doesn't happen i i honestly the broken guide trope does not work for me i can't stand it okay okay so here's a so here's a twist on that idea off the cuff I promise we did not plan this in advance. Um, what's the dude's name that kidnaps Spencer and gets him um, gets him um, hooked on drugs? Um, uh, Hankel, Hankel, Tobias Hankel, Tobias Hankel, Tobias Hankel, Hankel. Um, okay, so Tobias Hankel kidnaps uh, Spencer Reed. He's an online guide. 
during the course of recording and trying to give information to his team, he has to tell them in some way he's a guide. Um, and that he's in serious trouble. And he's in more trouble than they think. Because this guy is a fucking psychotic and he's an empath. He He's fucked. And he needs them to know that he's fucked. Um, and he needs them to get that when they finally get to him that he's going to need more help than they can provide. Um, and so the team gets the message and they're kind of appalled <laughs> in more ways than one. That Number one, he's been keeping this secret. Number two, that he's in the hands of an empath serial killer who is fucking him up on a level that none of them are going to be able to help him with. So they get the Sentinel guide on the center on, on the line and say, hey, we've got um, a problem. We've got an online guide. He's been kidnapped by a serial killer. And then they're going to have, uh, then all hell's going to break loose because there's a fucking online guide who's in the hands of a serial killer. And they want to know why they haven't already been notified of the situation. Um, and of course, then they'll have to admit that he didn't tell them that he was an online guide. Um, and, and see how that would go. And then there would be a Sentinel on the ground as quickly as possible to find and kill Tobias Hankel. And Spencer would not end up with a drug addiction because he would be immediately taken into Sentinel Guide care, um, put in a facility, and made to write. So the next time his team sees him, he will be as level as possible. He may or may not have a Sentinel, depending on his wishes. So that's a twist on that idea, where he doesn't turn into an emo mess. I'm not mad at that, TK. I'm not mad at, at Tony from Journey Home helping Spencer in this at all. Um, so, I mean, that's just an example of where you find inspiration or you find something, a germ of an idea in, in something where the implementation, the author. I find rewriting a story because you don't like the way the author did it to be really disrespectful. So if you find inspiration in in what they've done and in their setup or something, this is a great example of how you can completely go your own way. You don't have to regurgitate the exact idea that the person did that you didn't, that you weren't, that you didn't enjoy, you know, I will admit that comes to, you know, there, there is a little bit of a difficulty. Um, you have to be very delicate about how you give inspiration credit when you're inspired by a story you didn't like. So um, what you could do if you want to, you know, be above board about the whole thing, and this is probably what I would recommend, is that you say something along the line of, you know, this was inspired by the premise from story X. And you could say, um, while I have not read the entire story because some of the themes were triggery for me or upsetting for me. Um, I, I was inspired to try my ha own hand at Spencer being a guide and hiding it from his team. And it's a completely different idea. And, you know, and then you don't have to say something like, you know, Spencer crying and being a broken guide for 40,000 words didn't work for me. Because that's a really, that's a terrible way to give inspiration credit. Right, but you don't I, want to be insulting in your inspiration credit. And honestly, and honestly, as much as I harp on the idea that you should give credit, even in my own permissions note, I don't require it. And honestly, if you have absolutely nothing good to say about the story that you got your inspiration from, 
It might be best to say nothing. Yeah, it might be best. Yeah. But there are some ways you could carefully word credit. And also, if you don't want to link to it because it has themes in it that you found abusive or really deeply upsetting or triggering, you know, don't feel you need to. Especially if the author has not warned appropriately. Most especially. Uh, you know, so sometimes discretion is the better part of valor. <laughs> Because you don't want to say, so I was on my 3 and I was reading, and I came across this story, and it was shit, but it had a really great premise, and it inspired me, so I wrote this. You'd be very careful how, now I have, there, I have, I have been inspired by stories that I didn't finish reading. You know, sometimes you get slapped in the face with something, and you're like, um, wow, I can't continue. Or sometimes it's just, you know. Or sometimes you read 25 stories in two days because you're binging and you have an idea and you don't know where it came from. Well, there's that too. And then you're just like, okay, fine, fuck it. I mean, if someone points out that I got an idea from somewhere, I'll credit them, but I have no idea where this came from. That's more, yeah, and that's on the credit side. Sometimes you just don't know. You know, you're just like, it, it, it's been... It's been a 20-hour... It's been a 20-hour straight thickathon. I have absolutely no idea where I read that story. But I also, I would also say, I would also say that typically in those situations, if you're really running with an idea and making it your own and not just parroting what you've written, they're not going to look that similar. Because, well, but also because people should know by now also that sometimes our ideas do spring up very organically. I don't remember what it was. I, I, don't I mean, you look at those one sentence prompts that the three of us did, me, Lady Holder, and Jilly. We wrote them all individually. We did not bounce the ideas. And a lot of times we ended up hitting the same themes outside of the prompt. And some of them were very different. So some of them were youth. I would have thought they might have been more similar, were, weren't. And other ones were like, wow, that was eerily the same. Um but I, there was one night, I don't remember what it was, but we were talking about an upcoming rough trade or something or a challenge or something. Um, I really don't remember, but it was something to do with rough trade because right after the podcast ended, two different people wrote me about an idea they had for that rough trade and would it qualify. And they were both were like obscure and it was the exact same thing. It was an obscure crossover fandom. And it was the same idea. And I was just like, huh, what are the fucking odds? And I was like, I was like, what do I do here? And I didn't want to say to both of them, well, somebody else has this idea because then that could discourage either of them. So I decided to just say nothing and see if either of them wrote it. And then if both of them wrote it, then I could show them screenshots and show that they both had the idea at the same time. It was weird. It was just really weird. But that just goes to show you that sometimes you say something, Kira talks about something related to an upcoming challenge, and two people interpret the inspiration exactly the same way. In a way, sometimes I would never thought on of. AO, Sometimes on AO3, I log out so I don't accidentally leave kudos somewhere I shouldn't. Yeah. Or if I do, it'll be anonymously. It, it won't be in my name. Because... 
Okay, so this is terrible. Sometimes if I see something terrible on AO3, like something terrible, like what the fuck, I will click on it just to see if the author can has anything to say for themselves. I'm just curious how they justify this shit, if they're going to even bother. I mean, it's, I don't read it. I have no intention of reading it, but I'll just click on it. To see She's going to read their author note. <laughs> I do. I'm going to read their author note. That is risky fucking behavior because you might accidentally leave somebody kudos. So you got to be careful. I've done that. Yeah, because they'll say that. They'll say, read additional notes at the bottom. If you want to read, the, oh, that's something like, well, if you want to read about the triggering content, or if you want to read my explanation, read the notes at the bottom. It's like, fine. And you go to the bottom. I don't know. Like, I, why are the fucking notes at the bottom? Why? Why? And then I have to go to remember to go to my history and remove their ugliness from it. Right? No, but seriously, I will. I was like, go look at it. And like, what is your reasoning for this? I would rather be spoiled, to be perfectly honest. Because there are people on AO3 who don't warn for rape because they don't want to spoil the story. And I'm sorry if not warning for rape would warn your would, would spoil your story. You don't have much of a fucking story. Just saying. I'm not actually sorry. I'm looking at a kink list. I think I'm looking for a kink list. It's supposed to be like, you know, it, you know, for like inspiration, right? And it's like, it's it's weird because it's like a, such a mix of gay kink to ugh kink that um, it actually would like totally put me off writing any of it. Like, I don't consider devious consent a kink. So the fact that that would be on a kink list, it's you disgusting. know, like, like a kink bingo or something. I, I mean... You put that right next to, you know, um, S&M. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Nodding. Okay. So you've got like nodding. You've got good things in here. You've got nodding or um, orgasm denial, um, edging, um, double penetration. I'm like, I'm all in. And then right next to that is like um, dubious consent, ABO, which same fucking thing. Thank you very much. Um, Somnophilia, I mean, I, that can be a very difficult kink for me. Most people are really into it, but that's one of those things you've got to be. It's it's difficult to have continuous content, consent in that kind of situation. I, I get it. Sometimes people are like, you know, all in on you negotiate that up front, but still, it's difficult. I've rarely seen it written in a way that didn't put me off. Yeah, Shadow, that is the problem, is that sometimes you're just appalled at the stuff that has the most kudos, yeah. But the thing is, there's not really a great way to search. I mean, it's how do you search for the great fix, right? I used to find I was getting a better round of stuff when I searched by bookmarks. Because um, I figured if people were bookmarking stories, they must want to read it again. And people don't necessarily bookmark every trashy thing that they kudos. I would hope they don't. Um and I do think that sometimes that does work out better, but sometimes what winds up happening is somebody still is not book you know, like they've got an author bookmarks. They've got an author bookmarked. Um, like they got one of their works bookmarked, and so they remember that author. So they don't bookmark all of their works because why would they? Right? Like would you wouldn't bookmark every work by Lady Raw. Now her her works to me are some of the best in NCIS on AO3, right? 
-hmm. course, they're some of the best. They won't hit your kudos or bookmarks list because her stuff was added. Um, I think she, I want to say that she adjusted the publication date. I'll have to double check that. But for some reason, it's just, it could be because she was on her own site for so long. Um, but checking if she if she adjusted the publication date and that might be why her stuff was never had a lot of visibility on AO3. Yeah, she did. Like when she put up when I don't know when she actually published Tears, but she dated it. Uh, she backdated it to October of 2006. So, you know, that's like an exceptional that's that Tears and um I think Tears is, is one of my favorites of hers. Um, if you're looking for like recently published works, if you're going that way, because I often do that. Like I'll go like every few months or something and look at the works that have been finished in the NCIS fandom that are over 10,000 words. Um, I prefer longer works that are finished myself. So I would do the same thing. So I'll go and look at recent stuff. And so if, if it, and I actually, I, I understand like if I were to put old works on, I'd backdate them too. But what happens is it just makes it really hard to find those works. So they just get, they don't get read. I should go back and reread all of, you know, when, next time I do a reread of Lady Ross, make sure I've kudos all her work just because she totally deserves it. The hours of entertainment she's given me. I think I should be able to give like the same fic multiple kudos. Like I should get like one kudo a year. I agree. Also, sometimes it's like they tell me I've already left the kudos here and I'm like, I've never read this fic before. I mean, I obviously did. <laughs> I just have no memory of this place. <laughs> yeah. Then it makes me want to go log out and log in from my phone or something. So I have a different IP address. So I can leave kudos again. Leave them an anonymous guest kudos. Gross, gross, gross. Does anybody have any questions on the whole letting yourself be in? Did we cover what we planned to cover? Did you plan what you planned to cover? I think that we covered everything we planned to cover. I mean, you know, it was just a discussion about, you know, creativity and stuff. And I think we're good. I was looking at AO3 right at that moment. Yes. I was looking to see. Like, I think McCavity is Lady Ra's most popular work. And it's like 22 if you sort by kudos. So you would get her if you were sorting by kudos eventually. Um, but you wouldn't get all of her works if you were searching by kudos. Although if you, if you, if you stumble into one of her works and you don't go dig in, I don't know what's wrong with you. You're, you're crazy. Because if you dig in on her NCIS stuff, if you read McCavity and you go digging in on her NCIS stuff and you get done to the end of that and you don't go jumping over because you know if you've read if you've read McCavity, you're gonna get some exposure to some of other fandoms. And yeah, exactly. That was my thought, Ellie. You should jump over to Stargate and you read Wraith Killers. If you haven't read Wraith Killers and you're a Stargate but, fan, what is wrong with you? We, we that came up last night, actually. It came up during the writer's desk when I said if you hadn't read Wraith Killers, I don't even want to talk to you. I'm like, what? What the fic is called um the one where Neville accidentally kills Snape when Harry wants to is called Reunion and it is a time travel fic and it's Jen and it's on fanfiction.net and I do not have a link. I'm sorry. 
I think Robes wrote it though. Robest. R O B S T. Or is it Robst? I always thought it was Robes too, but somebody pointed out to me that his name is actually Rob, so Yeah, yeah. And his last name starts with an S T, so yeah. He's literally put his name together. Um, I'm going to put, since I talked about it, I'm just going to put a link for Lady Raw in the link library. Um, I guess the important thing is to nurture your creativity, um, to respect the, um, the creativity of others, um, to grow your craft, and to read and be inspired, um, and to allow your, um, the blot wrote it apparently, Susan's saying. Um, it's the reunion by the blot. Um, and to respect our community. Rorschach's blot. Yeah. He's another, um, he's another one, um, that, uh, <laughs> you got, you got. If you've not read Make a Wish by Rorschach's blog, I don't even know why you're in the Harry Potter fandom. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have, I've read a, for, for somebody who writes Harry Potter and reads it, I've read a relatively small amount of Harry Potter fanfic. And I've read Rorschach's blog. I've read Make a Wish at least twice. Because uh, I'm just a man on vacation. I'm just it's a just, man it's on funny. vacation. I love, that obliv I love the whole oblivious aspect that he has no idea. Um at one point, rocks literally fall. It yeah, is rock. fantastic. Um, but also, one of the things I would say, if you're looking, if you know, when you're looking to be inspired by other writers, and you should be looking to be inspired by other writers, when you're when you're sitting down to look for inspiration, and you want to, one thing to do is to get into a, a readerly space and go read and and see what is really gelling for you. And I don't mean this is like idea sourcing, but we get inspired by other writers when we read other writers. So go read, but you know, read good and stuff. Talk to other writers, do idea bounces, um, engage in writing spaces. Uh, uh, it's just, it's really important to your development. But if just, if you're on a, if you're in like, if you're like in a cesspit kind of mood with your, with your reading, you may not find much inspiration there. I don't know that you want to. Sometimes I think that's how really bad tropes get perpetuated. If people get inspired by things that are just really awful, that they're reading really awful things and they're being inspired by really awful things. So, and, and the sometimes thing, you des you desensitize yourself to it. You do. Like it starts to feel normal. It starts to feel normal when you read it a lot. Um, so when you're and if you're in a rut or if you're struggling and you're talking to other writers and you're reading, try changing up your reading and try going and reading stuff that is just really well written and just really good. And it doesn't have to necessarily be fan fiction. If you know, go read like. Kira did go read the JD Rob reread the JD Rob series or go pick up the Miles Rokosigan books or um, you know, just go pick up something that you find um particularly an author you find that just really you really just enjoy reading where you don't notice problems in their writing because it's just good. And let yourself try to let yourself get inspired when you're in that kind of headspace as opposed to, you know. What does Az call it? Dumpster diving? I just worry about it when she comes in the chat and says she's going dumpster diving. I'm like, oh, no. No. Guess she's going to share. 
because um, if that's what you're reading and you've been desensitized to that, then that's going to, that's where your inspiration is going to come from is, is the kind of stuff you desensitized yourself to. So, um, cause I do it. Sometimes I read stuff that I know is just, it's like, I do not want this in my head space. I'm going to read it anyway. Okay. That was a mistake. I always get to the end and go, well, that was a mistake. I shouldn't have Googled that. I really shouldn't. Have. We've all been there. I should not have hit that tag. I should not have. I should not have asked myself just how many fix could there possibly be with that tag? Oh, that many, huh? <laughs> Click. Hannibal is not a cannibal. We all make choices. Well, I was wondering why I had never read that story, the um, the Mirror of Maybe, and now I know why. It's a snary fic. I wouldn't read that shit on a bet. I was wondering why people were talking about the chat room. I'd never heard of it. That's why. I wouldn't read that stuff if somebody paid me. Well, I'm going to take that back. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. It's like, it doesn't matter how old Harry is. Um, it, it doesn't matter because it's like, um, it's like Anne Frank marrying a, a, a Nazi. <laughs> it's, it's just mind-blowingly disgusting. So while we're here, someone, and and someone said that, well, then then how can you um, write Harry Draco because Draco was a Death Eater too? It's actually not in my head canon that Draco was a Death Eater. If you see him in Book Six, it's the last thing he wants. He's obviously been blackmailed and forced into it by both his parents and Riddle. He didn't want that shit. He wanted no part of it. He had he no clearly, choice. He was a child. He clearly didn't want it in book six either. Huh? He clearly didn't want it in book six either. You, I, I didn't have to get to book seven to see he didn't want it. Right. No, he never wanted it. Um, so you can't compare Draco and Snape. Um, Snape joined the Death Eaters. Um and he didn't have a problem with the Death Eater's agenda or Riddle's agenda until they got in the way of his boner. So, no, the, the, um, there is no comparison. Um, but no, I wouldn't. I mean, you know, if someone offered me a million dollars, I could probably read one or two snary stories. Well, if someone offered me a, a million dollars, I'd sit down and, and, and read snary until I got the check. Provided. <laughs> the check cleared. Yeah. When that check cleared, I'd be done. But. I'd do. I'd told. I'd be all in, and then I'd and then I'd need a long fandom break. I might never read Harry Potter again. Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, it, it could ruin me for the whole fandom. So it had, maybe it, I, I might need more than a million. I don't know. You know, um, fandom might want you to take more. Might want you to hold out for more than a million. Um, but I, while we're, while we're here, this kind of brought up something that looking at this, I kind of want to address some shitty fandom behavior that I just feel like I need to put out a PSA about this. Um, so it came up in another, another area. It, this has nothing to do with this particular story. Although there's just something I saw in, in, in the, in, in about this that triggered the thought. It came up that there was a, um, a story that an author took offline and the author walked away from fandom. They took the story down and left. Someone found a copy of that story because nothing ever goes away. They got it off of somewhere and they reposted it. 
And they didn't claim it was theirs, but they did repost it and say, this story is too good not to be online or something like that. And, um, it, you know, if the author writes me and wants me to take it down, I will. But, you know, until then, I'm putting this story back up for people to read. This is bullshit behavior. This, you have no right to take a story that someone else mm. has taken down that they deleted and put it back up just because you can't explicitly get their yay or nay. And as often happens, the thing is, this person is counting on the fact that this person walked away from fandom and that they have no way of contacting them for them to be allowed to have this keep going. And I know this is not the first time that's happened. It's not the last time it will happen, but it's bullshit. It is bullshit. To, that is some entitled ass behavior. If you happen to have a copy of a story that you love that and the author has walked away and they've taken it down, well, lucky you. Lucky you. But to put it back up for public consumption on an archive when they have explicitly removed it is ugly ass behavior. It is ugly ass. Now, I have got copies of stories from authors that I had legit, you know, legitimately from when they were online and the author took them off and the author is gone now. Okay, I have those. I have stories that are like that. We all do. I, you know, and if the author came to me and actually said, I'd prefer you to delete it, I would actually honor the request and delete it. I would too. But that's sort of not the point. Authors don't go to individuals and say, please delete my story. They just say, please, you know, most of the time when I see this even address, they say, hey, if you got a copy of my story, you've got it, but please don't share it or please don't post it or whatever. And that's the way I would feel too is if you got it, you got it, but please don't post it. Please don't share it. It's not yours to disseminate. So if you're having that moment, if you ever are having, if you listen to this podcast and you're ever having this moment where you're sitting there thinking, is this the right thing to do to put this story up or to put this story up on a Yahoo group for people to download or whatever? The answer is no. It's not yours. It isn't yours. The answer is absolutely unequivocally no. And especially not to repost it because you think that it should be online. That's just gross. So that's my PSA. That's my ugly ass fandom behavior that I've seen this week. <laughs> we could probably do a whole podcast on that every single week. <laughs> well, it, it could be it could be the ugly be shit the, we saw this week in fandom. <laughs> that could be the way you end the podcast like every Friday night. And this week on ugliness and fandom, we have Becca news segment. Yeah, this week on shit we saw. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. You know, you've got uh, a, a story like the one that they're talking about in the chat room, where um, a lot of people got to read it, a lot of people enjoyed it, but a select few group of people hated it, hated her for writing it, ran her out of fandom completely because they're fucking assholes. She left an archive, got her own site, they would not leave her alone. She had to leave fandom because they were so obsessed with telling her how fucking wrong she was and how disgusting she was for writing the story that they that they ruined something that she loved. And now there are people who want to read the story who can't read it because they don't have access to it. Um, um, and those of us who have copies of it, I mean, you know... It it stuns me that there are people out there in fandom who can't look at something and say, okay, this is not for me, and just walk away um, and not harass the authors. Because when I don't get on AO3 every single day and cuss out people for writing pedophilia, then you can refrain from cussing out people who write things that are much less offensive than that. 
And there's nothing offensive about Tony being a Navy SEAL. Nothing. And the thing is, the people who are butthurt about that portrayal of Tony, can you imagine how butthurt they'd be these days? I mean, Tony has left, has gone completely off since the days when that was like sacrilegious to write Tony that. In a way, she was kind of trailblazing. Tony not being Gibbs' loyal St. Bernard. How dare she? How dare she? But I am serious. If I if I can refrain from getting on AO3 every day and cussing out people who write pedophilia, then you have no fucking excuse for not behaving. Because that shit offends the hell out of me. But you don't see me over there doing that. No, you don't. I mean, guys, and I could do it. I could, I could pick out a different person every single day for a year and not repeat myself once, cussing people out for that shit on AO3 because that's how prevalent it is. And I, I was on. I went to make a site when she created her own. She created her own website. I think it was run on that eFiction software thing. Mm -hmm. You and you had to create an account. You had to create an account and you had to agree to to her terms to be on her site. And she did it that way. She locked her stuff down behind members only. You couldn't even read it if you weren't a member because people were harassing her and they made they they'd get VPNs so she couldn't block their IP address and create f- dummy accounts and leave her hate comments and finally she just got tired of the harassment cuz she couldn't get it to stop no matter what she did it wouldn't stop they just harassed the fuck out of her until she just cashed in her she just she just took all her cookies and she went home and she took it all down and why? Just because she dared to write Tony in a way that they didn't agree with. Wow, what a terrible sin. You know, it, there are little clicks. People like this in all fandoms. It's not just NCIS. The Sentinel had one. Um, fuck those bitches. Uh, <laughs> yeah, all, I fandoms, mean, but I, all fandoms have a bad element, yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen it like that kind of mob behavior in Stargate, but I'm sure it's happened. I just haven't seen it. It certainly happened in Harry Potter. Uh, that's why when you go over to fanfiction.net, you'll see all those stories listed with no slash. Because for a long time there, there was this group of people that would harass the fuck out of anybody who wrote slash on fanfiction.net. It was in Harry Potter. It was in NCIS. It was probably in Stargate. Um, I missed all that. Well, I've seen people like, and the thing is, I see people newer to fandom who really diss on people who put stuff like, you know, this contains slash don't like, don't read. They'll like make a big deal out of the fact that they say that. And like, you don't get why they say it. They say it because they're putting it out there proactively. Why the fuck are you reading this if you don't like slash? I'm declaring it and yet you're reading it anyway and and abusing me over it. And that was a problem the NCIS people had for a long time. There's a bunch of NCIS stories that it's right there. There's not much summary. You get like four words of summary and then it says slash, don't like, don't read. And the reason was because the TV shippers, her, they would leave flaming hateful comments on any slash writer story, any slash writer story. And people were trying to put it out there. This is slash. If you don't like it, why are you reading it? And yet people come into the fandom now and they see that and they'll like get on the, in the Valdi group and they'll say, oh, why do people do that? People are just doing it. And they'll make, and like, and they'll make all these snod comments, snod, <laughs> snide <laughs> comments. Uh, that's like, that's, that was a combination between snotty and snide, snod. <laughs> so they make all these snide comments about people making remarks like that. And it's like, okay, fetus, I get you're new to fandom. Um, 
well, let's look at where that came from. That was born out of harassment and that um, fanfiction.net gives authors very few tools to handle harassment like that and abuse. It's not, sometimes it's not just harassment, it's flat out abuse. Yeah, Reaper, it's like, well, there's an obvious noob. It is, it's exactly what it is. Yeah, Kaya, people do forget about the, um, about the lawyers and the cease and desist days and, um, and why we had to warn about every single thing and why you were really transparent about Slash. And, you know, it, they don't remember what that was like. And, you know, they just need to shut up. <laughs> just shut up. The last time someone, there was a Harry Potter fan who'd come to read some of my stuff just about a couple months ago. Um, and they read all my my Harmony stuff. That's the Harry Hermione pairing. And they hit Birth of the Serpent King and realized it was Slash and sent me an email bitching about it. And um, I responded with three words. Suck my dick. Because that's the only that's the only response they deserve. <laughs> it's off with you. <laughs> well, you know, go fuck yourself is appealing, but also it should be like go unfuck yourself. I hope you never get laid again. <laughs> Kira's that kind of spiteful. <laughs> She will, she will, she will put a curse on you, your whole family, and your cow. <laughs> and your cow. Your poor, infertile cow that is never apparently going to get laid again. Y'all lucky I don't have, I don't have witchcraft abilities because I would be throwing out impotence curses left and right. I'm <laughs> 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 just saying. Some people don't deserve to have orgasms. Well, as you pointed out recently, nobody deserves to have orgasms. Well, you know, you can have an orgasm by yourself. But do you deserve it? Mm. Well. <laughs> <laughs> do you need it? Well, yes. Or do you there want it? There are some times it is definitely a need. It's like somebody is going to die if I don't get off. So <laughs> that's just for the greater good. <laughs> it's, it's it's my it's my it's my contribution to the betterment of mankind. Masturbation. <laughs> <laughs> and what did you give to the world during your life? I beat off a lot. <laughs> I didn't lived. kill anybody because I was too busy masturbating. Think of all the assholes who are alive because. Well, you don't actually need. A woman doesn't actually need to have an orgasm during reproduction. I mean, it's helpful because it causes the cervix to contract and kind of suck semen into the, the womb. It, so it aids in fertilization, but it isn't required. And while a man has to ejaculate, ejaculation doesn't equal orgasm for a man. They most often come at the same time, but a man can orgasm without ejaculating, and he can ejaculate without orgasming. So no, an orgasm is actually not required 
for the propagation of our species. Just saying. Yes, exactly. Orgasm does release beneficial hormones and stuff, but it it isn't necessary is it for necessary? isn't reproduction. Many, many, many a woman has had a baby who has never had an orgasm. Sadly. Right. Right. Anyways, I think we've exhausted the topic. Um, if you guys uh, have questions about Rough Trade, I can stay and answer them after I end the podcast. Um, but I need to end the podcast and go to the ladies' room, and then I'll be back. Okay. If you have questions about Rough Trade. Okay, so I want to thank everybody, and um, I hope you have a great evening, and we will probably see you tomorrow since it will be Friday. Um, so say good night, Jilly. Tomorrow will be Wednesday, but good night, everyone. <laughs>